listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon. I'm the Managing Director of Work Life Psych, and I'm not joined by my co-host Pilar Ortiz this time around. I'm afraid that this sits with me. A combination of workload, of travel, of varying workplace priorities meant that it was very difficult to find a time when we could both record. And we've learned from experience that me recording these on the go doesn't result in a great end product. So it's just me introducing this episode. But before you turn off, it's not just me for the entire episode. We've got a great interview coming up a little bit later on. We're going to be talking about the role of what I call play in productivity. So we're continuing our theme of looking at these pillars of productivity, the various principles that when we adopt them can improve our experience of work and help us get more of the right things done in the right way at the right time, my working definition for productivity. But before we get into that, let's have a look at some news. In terms of productivity news, a quick reminder that the latest of our personal development at work meetups will take place this Thursday, the 28th of March in London. If you're listening to this podcast hot off the presses, you will still have time to reserve your place at this free meetup. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. If you're listening to this later in the year and we've, we've no idea when you're listening to this, I'd still encourage you to sign up for the meetup. We plan a variety of events across 2019 and onwards. Each of them is about developing aspects that will help you um, be more successful, be more impactful, whatever it is that you're looking for in the workplace. So for example, this time around, we're looking at procrastination. And Paul Smith, who's been on the podcast before, he is the founder of Wise Amigo. He and I will be walking delegates through what procrastination is, how it impacts us and others, and of course, what we can do about it. So again, it's a free meetup and it takes place Thursday the 28th in the evening in London. A link to that is in the show notes. In well-being news, I'm really enjoying, and this isn't news, but I really wanted to share it. Um, I've been really enjoying Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. Now we had a whole episode on the contribution that sleep sleep makes to our well-being back in episode 18. Um, I didn't mention this then, It's a really accessible and scientific and evidence-based read. It explores what sleep actually is. And that's a big question when you think about it. The impact that sleep has on us and how it contributes to our well-being and our learning and so on. What it's like to experience a sleep disorder or um, interrupted sleep. And some advice on improving your sleep. I've really enjoyed it. It's a great read. It's very accessible, but it does go into detail. And so I would uh, heartily recommend it. I'll put a link in the show notes. In terms of effectiveness news, um, our uh, quarterly, I had to think about that, our quarterly newsletter went out last week from Work Life Psych. So if you'd like to 
sign up for that newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. It's quarterly-ish. There may be the occasional extra newsletter going out when we have something quite time sensitive we want to share with subscribers. But the reason I mention it is that we focused in part on our coach on campus proposition. And you can learn all about that at worklifepsych.com forward slash coach on campus. It's a way to make coaching available in the workplace to more of your employees. It challenges assumptions about the cost and the complexity of coaching. And effectively, one of our coaches will be in your place of work, uh, one day a month for six months. That's what a package looks like. And so we're offering a discount on that for anyone who signs up before the end of April 2019. Uh, Effectively, you will get one of those days of coaching for free. So do get in touch if you'd like to learn more about Coach on Campus, how it's different to the coaching you've maybe experienced before, and how you can take advantage of this discount. So now let's move on to the meat of this episode, looking at the um, principle of play. Now, you've probably noticed if if you've been listening to all of these productivity principles, I've kind of shoehorned them into words beginning with P to make them uh, more memorable. So previously, we've looked at the role of purpose and understanding what's important. We've looked at the role of priorities, for example, and process being organized. So play, what does play mean when it comes to being productive? Well, think about how you recover from work. Um, This is quite a a timely uh, focus on this because when we when you listen to the interview with uh, Kira Kelly later on, you'll see that the evidence for our non-work lives and how we um, experience our non-work lives and our hobbies and our interests and how we recover and how we disengage from work. Some of that is both very interesting, but a little bit counterintuitive. So play is the principle to remind you to also focus on your non-work life, to ensure that you, you have the meaning there, that you establish priorities in terms of how you use your focus, uh, your attention, your energy, and so on, and your time. Because An experience many of us can identify with is just about surviving the working day and collapsing in a bit of a heap at the end of that. Um, Relaxing, maybe, but we find that the beginning of the next working day comes around really, really quickly. And so that can get into a bit of a habit whereby we're just sleeping after work. And of course, sleep is a part of this principle. Getting good quality sleep is very important. And uh, we looked at this in some detail previously in episode 18, but it's not just sleep. Life would be quite tough if all we did outside of work was sleep. It is one of the building blocks and it's very important that we get good quality and good duration sleep. But what else do we want to do outside of work? We need to remember that the relationship between work and non-work can go in both directions. If you have a great experience in your personal life, potentially a great weekend, you can bring that mood, that satisfaction with you into the workplace. Uh, Similarly, if you've had a great day at work, you can bring that home with you and uh, experience that positivity for quite some time. And the same works in terms of negative experiences. But if we want to be great in the workplace, if we want to be productive, as we've been talking about, it's really important that our non-work experience is explored in the same way, that we know what we want to do outside of work, that we're realistic about how we use our time, energy, and focus, that we have explored the various roles that we um 
live in outside of work. It's not just my job and then everything else in one big pile. And if we intentionally engage with non-work activities, we can get a real sense of, of meaning and purpose from that. So not just recovery, not just sleep, but a proper disengagement from work and a proper engagement with non-work activities that bring us pleasure, that give us meaning. Now, there's no simple rule here. I've said this several times when we've discussed these topics. It's about experimenting and exploring what works for you. But if you find yourself... Uh, dissatisfied with how your evenings or your weekends, or if you're a shift worker, how your mornings and your afternoons are experienced, maybe it's take it's uh, time to, to reflect on this and think about how you manage your non-work life and those roles. And are you investing in those roles the way that you would ideally like to? It's important to consider how you recover from work, absolutely, but how you effectively actively disengage from work activities. So your pastimes, your hobbies, your relationships outside of work, how can you more mindfully and with intention spend the, the appropriate and the desired time on those? Think about your values. And we talked about these right at the very beginning of this when we talked about purpose, the why of productivity. What would you at your best be doing outside of work? And how does that contribute to your experience when you're back in work? Does what you do outside of work allow you to return to work feeling positive and healthy and engaged and keen to, to progress with a great day at work? Or does your experience outside of work leave you tired, less than enthusiastic and merely surviving one day to the next? So all of this is supported by and comes back to those principles of purpose, the why, and also the priorities. How do we want to spend our limited time, attention, and energy. And if we merely focus on our workplace roles, then our non-work roles will surely suffer as a result of that. So potentially, it's time to take some time out and have a think a little bit about that. So now we'll move on to uh, my interview with uh, Dr. Kira Kelly, who is a fellow occupational psychologist and a lecturer at Sheffield University Management School. I've known Kira for a number of years. Um, as you'll probably hear, we have our Irish nationality in common, um, but we have a lot more in common than just uh, passports. We really are interested in this work-non-work -work, uh, division and particularly in the contribution that our non-work lives, the impacts of our interests and our hobbies, how these impact our well-being and our experience of working lives. So a big thank you to Kira for making herself available to, uh, for the interview. And I've no doubt that we'll have Kira back on. If you've got questions about anything that Kira has covered, I'm going to share a link uh, to how you can get in touch with her online or do contact us. You can message us via Twitter and it, the address is uh, mypocketpsych simple as that. Or if it's something longer you want to share with us, you can go to worklifepsych.com forward slash contact. And there's a form you can fill in there and we'll get your message and uh, included in a future episode. So um, big thanks to Kira. I know everyone will be looking forward to the return of Pilar to bring a bit more structure <laughs> and accessibility to the podcast. But I'd really like you to think about what you do outside of work and be more mindful and attentive of that. Um, really hope you enjoy this discussion with Kira and look forward to hearing your feedback about the episode. In the interim, thank you very much for listening.
So I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Kira Kelly, who is lecturer in work psychology at Sheffield University Management School. Kira, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Richard. How are things with you? Very well, thank you. Yes, I'm very good. How are you? I'm um, good, good, good. It, it's always nice to have someone on to talk about something that they're interested in. So maybe we could start uh, learning more a little bit about you and, and your career. Could you tell us a little bit about how you've got to where you are today? Sure. Um, so I have been based in the UK for about 10 years now. Um, I originally came over uh, to do my master's in, in occupational psychology. And um, previously to that, I'd worked in um, sort of student unions and universities and uh, a little bit in hospitality um, in um, uh, Crow Park, uh, the, the um, massive stadium in Dublin. And uh, yeah, so um, I've been in, I had an interest in work psychology. So I came over here, did my master's, um, did lots of different types of projects with different groups like um, the NHS the police, um, always interested in looking at sort of um, people's well-being and their resources um, and things along those lines. Um, but then I started my PhD and that was particularly focused on looking at people's leisure activities and how do people's leisure activities interact with their work lives. Um, part of that was, um, I think, a little bit kicked off from the work that I'd done in uh, the, the stadium uh, because it was... Um, part of the Gaelic Athletic Association in, in Ireland, which is, uh, I think, one of the biggest amateur sporting organizations in the world. Mm. And so there's, you know, sort of thousands and thousands of people in Ireland who are playing these sports at an incredibly high level, um, pretty much at what you consider a professional level, but they just do it as part of their, um, their non-working lives. Um, and it's a huge part of their lives. And that was really interesting to me. And then on the flip side, my own experience of uh, leisure activities. I was very interested in theatre and in comedy. I do a little bit of improv comedy myself, a little bit of stand-up. And um, I was just really interested in, in how those things interact with uh, particularly, you know, professional uh, work where it's sort of high pressure work where you're expected to perform at a certain level. Um, and um, how, do, how do people bring those things together when they're really passionate about what they're doing at work and in their leisure time? So it's really nice to hear someone talk about non-work lives in the work psychology context. And it's a really good fit for what we're talking about at the moment, which is the productivity principle of play, where um, they, there we mean everything that you do to both recover from work, but also enrich your life. The things you voluntarily do outside of work that can help you feel good about life, can contribute to your well-being and, and all of those other things. So it sounds like we're, we're on the same page with this. Um, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you found in, in your research and what you could share with our listeners. Maybe we could start with this concept of um, recovery from work and how that's different from enrichment. Yeah, so uh, one of the things when I started my research that I found interesting was that um, particularly in the work psychology area there's an awful lot of work that has been done about you know how do you bring yourself back up to sort of you know fighting fitness um, after mm -hmm. you know really putting a lot of energy into your work and if you feel exhausted or you know just spent from from your day at work which is you know what we'd expect from from when you are doing your, your work that's why it's called work um, <laughs> And so we focus on, on this idea of recovery of um, you know, how do you get back up to a sort of status quo. 
Um, and I think that's really useful because people do want to be able to um, bring their best to work and giving people information about how to do that is, um, you know, is helpful uh, for individuals to achieve their goals. Uh, but on the flip side, I was interested in, um, you know, what do we do that actually helps us to, you know, develop ourselves and build ourselves in the direction that we want to take ourselves as humans um, to spend time doing things that we feel has purpose for us. And, um, you know, we talk about intrinsic motivation, things that just interest us that we want to spend our time doing. And hopefully you'd have a bit of that in all domains of, of your life. And uh, so I was interested in how do people bring these things together? So develop themselves in their non-work. And does that help them in their work? How do they bring that into their work? Um, what are the sort of positive interdependencies uh, between what we do to earn our living and, you know, what we do for kicks uh, in, our, in our own time? Mm. I'm developing a really clear mental picture of someone who arrives home from a tough day at work and they just want to put their feet up and watch TV for the evening and then go to bed and go back to work. What's wrong with that picture from your perspective? Well, I think that's often how we almost feel we ought to be doing it in that it's almost a little bit selfish to do anything that's not just trying to get us back to, you know, um, that's our work time outside of work is almost, um, you know, to service our work time. Um, and that's sometimes the problem with the, I think, the messaging in some ways behind the recovery um, research. And so if you just go home and even actually some of the specific research on things like, um, you know, TV watching or uh, what we call sort of low effort activities um, shows that, that it doesn't actually help us as effectively um, in some cases to, to make us feel um, energetic. The things that um, you know, we, we get uh, positive energy from doing things that have sort of an intrinsic uh, motivating aspect that we're interested in. Um, and just sort of sitting around isn't that effective at giving you energy. In fact, you know, I mean, just to, to bring it back to sort of the, the, the boring uh, health stuff, um, physical activity and uh, exercise is one of the most effective ways to, to make you feel kind of energetic and um, maintain your mood. Um, so uh, just the sitting around is, is is often not the ideal way to spend your time. No, but it can feel very attractive. And I know a lot of people listening to this right now might be wondering, well, that's all very well for you guys. Uh, but my situation means that that's kind of difficult. And that's the conversation that we've been having on this podcast, I think, from day one, which is it very much depends on your personal circumstances. We're not going to mm -hmm. give you hard and fast rules on what you must and must not do, but maybe to reflect a little bit more, maybe to be a bit more mindful of what you're actually doing outside of work and the impact that that has positive or negative on you when you go back to work. Yeah, I think it's really important to think about, um, you know, the specific context that you're in and uh, actually to kind of make plans and be um, quite compassionate with yourself about what you need and what goals you're really trying to achieve. And so, for instance, I think we let a lot of these things just happen to us without sort of planning um, what, it, what it means. So if you know that you're going to have a really busy period, uh, at work and that is a priority for you then maybe you would make decisions slightly differently about um, how you would spend your time outside of work how you would you know plan your recovery versus um, you know the more developmental things that you need to do uh, there was a, a 
nice uh, qualitative study I came across during my PhD about people who were involved in um, uh, theatre and saying that um, they they knew in advance uh, when they were going to have, you know, show times. And that was quite mm. an intense period in their non-work life uh, and that they tended to, um, in advance, you know, prepare uh, their work life. And, you know, the people they work with kind of knew that this was going on. Um, and so they had that balance where they would make it so that they could actually uh, you know, invest themselves in in this really important non-work activity, knowing that it would probably take away from what they could do in their work in the in this very short time period. Um, but that was that was kind of okay for them. And okay for them, I think, is the key phrase, isn't it? Because it's in their context that worked well. And there may be roles where at work it's not possible to do as much as that in terms of preparation. And there may be activities outside of work that don't take as much um, thought and planning, but it's very contextual. And and this echoes conversations that we've had previously on the podcast about the nature of being proactive and how helpful it can be to be proactive in terms of your planning and thinking ahead and seeing what's coming down the pipe rather than living a very day-to-day existence at work where things can jump out and surprise us. Or we could maybe place too much emphasis on how one day has gone and how one evening has gone uh, rather than looking at things in the round over a longer period of time. Yeah, and uh, that that sort of um, chimes a little bit with some research that I, I've uh, done recently, which looked at uh, the impact of um, spending time on a particular activity over the course of a month. And what we found was that uh, when you spend more time uh, than normal in that activity over a month, that um, it actually seemed to improve your um, sense of confidence um, in doing your work, even though it was something to do with your, your non-work. But only when that particular activity was, was, not the, was not similar in character to what your work activity was. So if you were really, really um, you know, into this particular non-work activity, say, um, well, we'll stick with theatre. Um, so you know, you're really passionate. And it was really, really important to you. Um, but it was also quite similar to what you did uh, in your in your work time um, in terms of the sort of um, uh, mental and physical challenges that that was actually quite negative uh, for your uh, for your sense of confidence in work. And I think that's because it was kind of a sense of being overloaded. Mm. But if it was quite different from what you did in your work time, it had a positive effect on your, your sense of confidence. So I think it's important to be to be a bit mindful, to use that very popular word at the moment, um, about, um, you know, that bringing together of uh, what gives you energy and um, also, you know, what it's, what it's taking from you to do it, but then what it's also giving back to you. It's a really interesting point that about how different activities are from, from work. I, I've worked with individuals who were concerned about their well-being when when uh, it came to long hours at work but what we discovered was they were actually doing something very similar in their own time so they might have been a developer a coder at work but they also when they came home in the evening relaxed inadverted commas um by um creating their own apps um, in their own time for their side projects. And that's not necessarily a break from work. It can feel like you're doing something for you, but the activity to the 
to the observer was exactly the same. And we arrived at the, a very similar conclusion, which was ensuring there are other things that don't look anything like coding new apps to help you recover and feel rejuvenated and also sp spread your interest uh, more widely. And I think that speaks to maybe more of the enrichment side of things. Mm, um, well, I think you're, you're, you're bang on there with that uh, advice in terms of uh, what the, the background literature says on recovery from work in that being able to detach from your work and having um, both mental and physical space from the work that you do has probably the strongest uh, evidence base in terms of um, being positively related to feeling recovered from your work. And uh, so it is worth bearing in mind that if you know you are doing something that's uh, very similar or um, keeps you in that workspace mentally, that you, you, it might be taking its toll on you. And what kinds of things would, would prevent that detachment? Are they just psychological? Is it, is it just our thinking about work? Or could there, could there be physical aspects to that about what we see and, and do? Uh, is it enough, you know, to, to remind us of work that we can see our work laptop, for example, when we're at home? I think that's one of those things that um, people need to ask themselves in terms of uh, different people have different relationships with their work. And I think a different sense of um, how much space they need to feel that they do have space. So um, some of the uh, work on um, uh, work-life balance, for instance, looks at how much people are interested in um, integrating their lives with their work uh, versus keeping them very separate. Mm -hmm. And those people would have a very different sense of what's encroaching on them. So uh, one of the issues is people working from home. Some people really feel they need to have physical barriers. Um, so for instance, um, that they would have an actual home office that they could shut the door to because, you know, if they walk past and, and yeah, like you say, see your laptop, um, it just brings that, um, you know, it puts you back in that, that, that workspace. Mm. Uh, but other people wouldn't, wouldn't feel that. It wouldn't particularly bother them. So I think when it comes to detachment, the question is, do you feel detached? Are you thinking about work? Just to make it a little bit more interesting, uh, there's also the idea of positive work reflection, which is based on the idea that you're uh, thinking about the good sides of your work, the things that you like about your work. Um, that tends to be positively related to your sense of recovery. So that just goes to show how much it's to do with um, you keeping an eye on your own um, ongoing relationships uh, with your work. And that, you know, if you're loving it and, um, you know, it's, it maybe has that sense of purpose and fulfillment and you're excited about it. Thinking about it isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's very interesting. And this comes back to that, that point again, doesn't it? That the need for people, uh, for all of us, <laughs> to reflect and to have a think about the thinking that we're doing, to have a think about what's working for us um, and copying other people may not be the answer to that and to consider what's helpful to us and what might be a bit of a hindrance when it comes to both the recovery but also the enrichment piece. Uh, is it about, as we've we've mentioned previously on the podcast, is, is it about how you're managing your time in a very uh, mechanistic way, the time available to you each each day, each week, each month. But is it also something about how you're managing where your attention goes, which is quite different in that you can manage time really well, but if your attention is not where it needs to be in a, in a given moment, that's not particularly helpful. Or getting in touch with your energy and moving beyond the 
the answer that many people give when asked, how are you? They veer between busy and exhausted. And uh, maybe exploring that in a little bit more detail so you could maybe express it differently, express it on a scale to yourself and reflect on if I do A in the evening, how do I feel the next day versus if I do B in the evening? And if I keep an eye on that, as you suggested earlier, Kira, for, for a month, what might that feel like? Yeah, yeah, I think it is interesting to look at um, to look at it in different ways uh, because we have a tendency to, you know, have pre-held beliefs about you know, what's good and what's useful for us, um, and not actually um, not actually reflect on what's actually happening. So one of the interesting conversations I had um, was with people who were a bit surprised when they were taking part in my research about. Um, the way that we do it is ask people either on a, on a daily basis or on a monthly basis. We had two different studies um, and we asked them about, you know, how much time were they actually spending in different activities? And um, then later on, we would ask them about um, how they were feeling and then about, you know, how they were behaving in work. And some people were genuinely surprised at um, how much time they were spending in their activities uh, because they felt they were actually they thought they spent a lot more time in those activities when in actual fact um, on any given day, they sometimes were maybe putting it off or um, it just wasn't happening as much as they felt it it, it was. And um, that for them was um, something to say, oh, maybe actually, maybe I, I, there's space for me to do this even more than I do. It, it comes back to our perceptions of time, doesn't it? Um, we're not the best uh, human beings at having an accurate measure of, of things like that because all kinds of thinking impacts and emotional impacts can get in the way. It, it does point to the benefit potentially of keeping track of where your time goes on things like this. If you're trying to make some changes, a good starting point might be to start with, well, what do I do with the time that's available to me? I know from my own coaching experience that that's been a good place to start for a lot of people who are feeling the pinch when it comes to work-life balance issues or having a private life. Um, it's a good start to say, well, you know, you're so busy, in inverted commas, let's find out where all your time goes. And that can be really quite enlightening and a bit shocking for people sometimes as well, um, depending on the role. But a lot can go into the bucket called meetings and another big bucket mm. called email. But but starting from a more rational point, which is this is the time I have available to me. What would I like to do with it? Yeah. And, and moving away from what you feel, there's this idea that um, we talk about, which is uh, the ideal worker. And that I think a lot of people and uh, maybe a lot of people in management um, have this idea of what what they would like their ideal worker to be like. And it's, you know, it is somebody who has no uh, you know constraints on them. They're super focused on work um, they're available for what's needed when it's needed. Um, you know, it's almost a kind of robotic idea of what we would like our, our workers to be like. Um, and while that might sound like a great idea, it sort of doesn't um, really honor what makes us great as, as humans and as, mm. as people. Um, and when you're afraid, when you feel like that's actually the standard that you're trying to reach, I think we can constrain ourselves more than we need to in terms of doing the things we really love and the things that we really want to do. And who we take our cues from in the workplace um, because making comparisons with other people and following their their way of doing things isn't always a, a great approach because we 
don't know everything that's going on in their heads and we don't know everything that's going on for them outside of work. And for managers, coming back to your point, it could look like the, you know, the, the benefit there could be focusing on outputs rather than a, a stereotyped view of employees given the diversity of people that they might have working for them to be really clear on what they want and when they want it rather than I need a, a pool of people at all times available to do my bidding um, regardless of what comes up. And that, that then can give them a bit more space to accommodate different working styles, different ways of getting the same thing done, as long as everyone's clear on the final output that they want to get to. Yeah, and I think that's, a, that's the real challenge in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of uh, trying to figure out what are we actually trying to aim for? What are we trying to achieve in any given day? Um, and being clear on that and then taking the space that we, we make from being clear on that and using it to you know, do the right things for us and having confidence that that will lead to the right thing for our work as well. Absolutely. And again, stepping back and having a look at the, at the bigger picture, we, we've talked so far about how we recover and how we enrich our lives outside of work. What about during the working day? Because, you know, I think broadly speaking, many people would agree that it's helpful to take some kind of break during the working day. I don't think I'm being too challenging when I say that, but is there anything that our listeners could really benefit from considering when it comes to taking breaks from their work during the day? Yeah, this is an interesting area that I think is really only um, getting started in terms of sort of a research background, but there are some interesting uh, studies in this area. One of them um, looked into the effect of um, how much control we have over the choices we make during our breaks um, and found that that was really important in uh, whether or not you felt uh, that you had had some time to recover and um, how fatigued you felt. Uh, so they looked at, you know, whether you spent time doing something social or whether you spent time um, at even doing more work. And that's if you felt that, you know, you had autonomy, you chose what you were doing, uh, that really impacted whether or not the activity was felt to you know, be a good break from work. Mm. So um, it wasn't necessarily uh, the characteristic of the activity itself. It was it was whether you felt you'd chosen it. Um, and I think, you know, it's not always possible to be the, the master of your, your destiny on any given work day. But um, uh, if you're, you know, if you do have the opportunity that it's OK to, to sort of do what you want to do sometimes. And again, we're coming into the area of being uh, sensitive to individual differences and, and working preferences here. So duration of breaks and timing of breaks and what people do during breaks. As individuals, it's helpful for us to think about what works for us. And if you are leading a group of people to not assume that everyone will benefit from or indeed enjoy the same kind of break activity. And that, that's really a function of what the workplace looks like and how it operates, because sometimes breaks are down to a very strict schedule, because that's what staffing is about. But it, it's worth bearing in mind that what you think might be a really welcome break and an enjoyable activity that might not be shared by the people in your team as something that they would benefit from or that they even want to do, while they've got lots of other things that they could be doing instead. Yeah, I mean, if you look across the entire history of sort of work psychology research, a, a huge amount of it points to the idea that like giving people the ability to make decisions for themselves uh, tends to, uh, you know, increase things like well-being and productivity. I mean, that sounds like 
oh, well, that's simply the answer to everything. Obviously, then you get you know the mm. complexity of work with people working together. Mm. And so everybody can't be doing what they want all of the time. But um, if you're in a situation where you are able to, to make those decisions, um, to actually have the confidence to take that control and, and do with it what you feel is best for you. And that might take a little bit of um, um, experimentation mm, mm. Uh, and and working out different things are, are, are good on different days, depending on what you might have been doing beforehand. So, uh, for instance, people can need longer to recover if they've been doing, you know, very intense levels of activity. And so uh, or equally moving around tends to be good just in general. So, um, you know, going for a walk is, is fairly good for most people in, in most situations. And so reflect, have a think about your circumstances, experiment with different things and see, see what works for you in your circumstance. And, and don't assume you understand what works for other people. It comes back to communication, in a sense. Having conversations about this can be really useful. I mean, we, we've covered quite a few really useful concepts uh, in our conversation, you know, d distinguishing between simply recovering from work so you can turn up the next day in a fit state versus enrichment, um, which really adds to your life experience. And that speaks to what we've spoken about in terms of um, purpose and clarity of purpose, what's important to you in life. Um, and, you know, looking at things uh, in a, a proactive manner when you can, when you know what's coming down the road towards you to be able to plan around that and be realistic about what's possible and not just pick any day in isolation to consider whether things are working out for you or not or whether you're being successful in your efforts or not and to consider how much control you have in your situation or if you lead other people to consider how much autonomy you could give them that they could benefit from when it when it comes to taking breaks or when it comes to organizing their work so that they can have that both recovery but also enrichment time outside of work there's a lot to consider there yeah and i think the the enrichment side of things is not something that we talk about um a lot but something that people could potentially get a lot from in terms of thinking about more long term mm -hmm. uh thinking about um you know are there positive relationships potentially between you know what you do um and what you really want to spend your time on outside of work and you know whether you can bring more of that into what you're doing in your work we talk about job crafting mm -hmm. which is you know uh, taking this proactive approach to um uh, you know adjusting and shaping your work into something um that you enjoy more something that you know just fits more with how how you want to exist in the world really and um you know enrichment can be a really good part of that so for instance thinking about you know thinking about your career if you um want to go into more senior levels in in your workplace thinking about, you know, what kind of, um, are you having leadership experiences in your non-work time um, that you're not really thinking about how you're developing yourself, but you are developing yourself and you're learning these skills and you're having these experiences that um, when you think about it, you can bring into the workplace and being aware of those and how you can use them and how you can, you can leverage them. Mm. Uh, there's some great um, uh Interviews were done with um, women in, in management, asking them about their experiences of being being mothers and also being, you know, senior leaders in the workplace, and uh, hearing them draw the sort of comparisons between the skills they used as mothers, um, because it's you know it's a leadership uh, role in its in its own way, and yeah. uh, I think 
the patience uh, that they they built up and the communication skills. Um, and I think the emotional management skills all came through as uh, really useful things that they 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 really intensely practiced as as mothers and that they felt were really beneficial for them um, as as leaders in business. That's so interesting. It it's it's very similar to conversations I have in in, in coaching sessions sometimes sometimes when we're looking at what could look like a really challenging problem in the workplace and someone's really stumped the coachee has come up against a brick wall sometimes we'll explore how they manage problems outside of work and it really can untap a lot of potential in how their non-work activities have given them skills they hadn't really made the explicit link with um, and whether it's a, you know, they're on a sports team or they're, they've developed the patience to engage in a hobby that can take a lot of time before it shows results or whatever it is, it's to reflect on, well, what have you learned outside of work that might help you with this? And after, you know, some initial confusion, that can be um, quite a quite a rich seam of content to explore when the workplace looks like it's stuck the way it is. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot in that, and it's very interesting um, to see how much it it takes for people to draw those comparisons. That you might think it was automatic or it was obvious that you're the same person just because you're moving from um, one different life domain to another one. Mm. Uh, but it can be really, really useful to try and make it uh, more explicit and more um, um, specific. Partly, potentially, just to build up that sense of confidence that actually maybe you're not, you think you're facing a new challenge, but it's not as new as you think it is. Mm -hmm. You have shown that you can deal with something that is quite analogous, but you wouldn't have seen that analogy. You wouldn't have seen that similarity unless you um, maybe had sat down and had a conversation with uh, somebody about it. I think that's a really interesting um, sort of area of potential for people to um, gain a lot to help their work life from their non-work life. Yeah, and, and we talk about positive overspill from work to home and home to work, you know, and there's skills you get at work that you can definitely use outside of the workplace. Um, it, it can be a bit of a blind spot, the positive from the home to the workplace or from the private to the professional. And it's worth exploring, uh, I think, especially when people are considering things like how they Im improve their performance, deal with regular challenges, or even consider how they're going to advance in, in their career. They, they might have kind of some self-limiting beliefs about I've never done this or I've never been exposed to this when actually looking in their private lives there, there may be examples that they could they could draw upon and it, it really underlines doesn't it the fact that while we could view work and non-work as very separate we are the same person that's going through those domains and we're ex experiencing them and you know our energy and our emotions and our thinking about it uh, all of these things are being uh, depleted or added to by where we are so you know focusing only one metric uh, focusing on only one aspect of this is going to give you a misleading picture it's useful to take a step back and see it in 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 the round i suppose is, is what i'm saying because we try and avoid give giving you know really firm uh, here are three top tips to manage this style advice because of the diversity of people who listen but um i think one thing i think we could we could say fairly certain with certainty is the benefit the benefit of having a think about this to reflect on this um, and to see what could work for you in your particular circumstance, particularly if you're feeling a bit of disconnect 
in your private life that you're not achieving what you would like to, you're not engaging with what you would like to, to have a think about how you could make some changes um, to improve that situation. Mm, yes, that all sounds great. Okay, Kira, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great uh, speaking with you. Um, I'm going to link to your um, online profile. So if anyone wants to find out a little bit more about you or the work that you're doing, that will be in the show notes. And um, anything else that we take from our conversation that represents some resources online, they will also go in the show notes. But for now, Kira, thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.